In this episode, I chat to Anna Hunt, the international best-selling author, health and well-being expert and shaman. In the last 16 years, she has worked with a global client base of leaders, private clients and corporations such as Greenpeace. The techniques Anna uses in her work include Peruvian shamanism, meditation and principles of quantum physics to really shift how we think. Anna can help us to emotionally detox from unresolved issues, thoughts, feelings and patterns that we hold onto in our lives. She can help us to release the things that don't serve us anymore to become healthier, stronger, calmer and more grounded. And I've worked with Anna over the last few years to work through some of my own emotional feelings and patterns that I felt personally were holding me back in my life. And I found it to be pretty life transforming. So this is partly why I wanted to share some of her knowledge with with you guys and how she works in helping us deal with things like being overloaded, the stresses of modern life, grieving, and what can happen if we don't process our own emotional baggage. Just before we get stuck in with our conversation with Anna, if you haven't bought it already, my new book, Do Death for a Life Better Lived, is out now by me, Amanda Blaney, and you can get it on Amazon or you can get it direct from the book publishers called the Do Book Publishing Company. So hi, Anna. Hello. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you for um, inviting me. I've been really excited to talk to you for a while. And um, so we'll just go into it. I mean, I when people think of a shame and they think of someone who's got bones in their ears and sort of dancing around naked and sort of a slightly terrifying image of a what a shaman might be and you're none of those good <laughs> <laughs> and you know I, I discovered you through your book uh shaman in stilettos and what I really like about it is how normal and approachable you are mm. and I think that really helps people relax when they work with you and what I really want to do is explore what shamanism is how can it help us in life and is there a place for it when we're dying um and i read somewhere actually last week that a shaman has been described as someone who walks between worlds someone who is a healer a teacher a guide for their community using altered states of consciousness for healing and to journey between the world of the physical and the non-physical do you think that's an accurate description well i think it's one description but i think we have to be or something I'm very passionate about is being careful when we are, like me, I operate in a particular society, a particular culture. And I think for people from my culture, that's a slightly like whoop description. Mm. A lot of people wouldn't resonate with that, like the physical, non-physical reality and journeying between worlds. Um, I think for people from our culture can sound a little bit uh, irrelevant like how does somebody journeying between worlds help me exactly, with my stressing yeah. job, for example? So the way I would describe myself and what I do is to provide really solid, foolproof techniques mm. that enable people to de-stress, reconnect with themselves, and in doing that, to reconnect to the inherent power that is in a very deep core space within everyone. Mm. And I think the pace of modern life, uh, the demands of modern life, particularly on professional working mums, 
um, professional men as well, um, can create a situation where all of us feel totally disconnected from that power, yeah. totally disconnected from that ability to do life mm. and death. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I think many of our traditional support systems, like society, like being part of a community, like being connected to and living in nature, aren't available to us. Yeah. So I see my work as providing, as I said, those foolproof techniques. And in a nutshell, what I do is help people detox. Mm. And when we talk about detoxing, most people think about their diet or giving booze a break. But actually, the greatest source of toxicity in life comes from our unresolved and unidentified thoughts, feelings and emotions. Mm. And shamanic techniques and the other techniques that I use with clients provide, in my opinion, the quickest and deepest and surest way of detoxing those backed up thoughts, mm. feelings and emotions. So it's like resetting yourself, resetting your life. I mean, you've worked with me, so you, mm. you, you've experienced that yeah. yourself. But um, my shamanic approach is not like a religion. It's not teaching you how to think no. or how to live your life. It's just providing a quick way of helping you when you're hit with a challenge, mm. such as bereavement, such as losing a job, such as just feeling so overloaded that you don't know where your life ends and you begin. It's mm. almost like life is running you yeah. as opposed to the other way around. Mm. And then once you've done that work with me, you get on with living and making sense of life, its ups and downs, its joys and its pains in the way that makes sense to yeah. you. And that's what, when I first went to Peru, um, 16 years ago now that's what I loved about shamanism and how shamanic techniques helped me at the time I was um, a journalist I had a big job at the mail on Sunday a lot of stress I had a lot of physical difficulties because of that stress and shamanism just enabled me to let go of the stress and therefore the physical symptoms that were very problematic for mm. me and reorient recalibrate um, and then get on and live my life as I've chosen to do which I think is very empowering it has yeah. been for me and that's really at the heart of what I try and provide for my clients and no there's no bone shaking or kind of <laughs> <laughs> weird shamanic headdress <laughs> that's a part of that yeah well I think it's really interesting because you're like a, you are a modern day you know shaman you've integrated it into the western world and how we live our lives and how we need to heal mm. i i wanted to ask you how do you what methods do you use you know how do you work what do you use i know you, i know because i've worked with you so i know yeah. you have crystals and yeah. tobacco smoke and, and san yeah. pedro and ayahuasca yeah. and yeah so i was curious to talk to you about that as well so i use essentially three different techniques um and the first technique that i use is a mental technique which is not purely shamanic but the quantum physics that it draws on underlies why shamans do what they do. Mm. And that is a technique which uses these principles of quantum physics to shift how we think. Because if we can shift how we think about ourselves or about the people in our lives or about our job, um, about the challenges that we might have been through or are going through, we can radically shift how we feel um, about ourselves and the situation mm. and the other person. Uh, so that's one of the techniques that I use. And the quantum physics principle that we're drawing on is essentially in life, you cannot have a particle without a locally or non-locally related antiparticle. Mm. In other words, whenever we 
have an experience and we take a very strong opinion of that experience or of ourselves as okay this was great or this was really really rubbish Mm. I like this I really dislike this we're not seeing the whole picture so that technique is about enabling us through a lot of rigorous mental discipline to quickly and effectively and authentically see the other side Mm. and therefore be able to let go of some of that mental baggage that we all carry yeah So that's one of the techniques. Um, Another technique that I use is very deep visualization, which is much less, think of a pretty sunset, uh, much more using visualization tools, which are a way of tapping in with, into our intuition, which is our foolproof wisdom that we were talking about earlier. That really powerful place in all of us. And through using fun, creative images, enabling us to hear our intuitive wisdom and also problem solve. Mm. So in the case of bereavement, doing deep visualization around a person who's passed into a different dimension Mm. physically, but who is still here because you're still thinking about them. You're still feeling all the things you feel about them. Visualization is a really powerful way of connecting with that person and bringing our thoughts into a point of balance, bringing our feelings into a point of balance and actually being able to connect with that person in a way that we're able to get off our chest, the things that maybe we weren't able to say in life, Mm. which I think for a lot of people is the thing which makes the grieving process very sticky and hard, Mm. that we wish we'd said all of these positive things or we wish we'd had the opportunity to actually express how crap this person was in our life. Um, So visualization is a safe way to express that stuff Mm. um and it's powerful it can bring a lot of resolution and peace Mm. and then the final thing that i do which you've alluded to is um the energy work uh and that draws on what einstein said so einstein said if everything's energy or not if he said everything is energy that's all there is to it this is not um philosophy this is physics yeah so a shaman works by moving energy a shaman views thoughts feelings and emotions just as energy mm. and what is energy energy is light waves and those light waves when we don't release them and bring them to a point of peace they get trapped inside us and everyone has experienced that in terms of repetitively thinking about the same thing mm. i can't believe this person did this to me or i can't believe i had that success but more normally the negative stuff I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I didn't say that. You know, all that stuff. And over time, those thoughts and the feelings that they generate can back up. Mm. When we approach them just as light waves, which is what we do shamanically, we're able to use energetic techniques to shift those light waves. So one of the main techniques that I use is sound, because when a sound wave hits a light wave, both are transformed. Mm. We all use sound in daily life to shift how we feel. If we're going for a run, we're going to put on probably pop or rock to pump us up exactly if we're having a dinner party we're not going to use that kind of music we're going to maybe use some jazz or some blues or similarly if we're doing yoga we want to meditate we're going to use different music again so all of us use music kind of in an unconscious way Mm. in daily life to shift how we feel and how i use sound is to really powerfully enable people to shift how they feel and to release the light waves that they're holding Mm. within I also use crystals that you mentioned. Crystals from a shamanic perspective have been through a host of different challenges in terms of different geographical, physical environments, whether it's glaciers or fire. Um, Meteorites have fallen from outer space. So they are, from a shamanic perspective, masters at enabling us 
to release and let go. Mm. And from a shamanic perspective, because everything's energy, there's no such thing as alive or dead. When I first started this um, journey, I just looked at rocks, crystals, and just thought, well, they're pretty colors, yeah. nothing more. Okay, but they can be quite powerful. Um, you've alluded to plant medicines. I work with San Pedro the Cactus only in Spain and Peru, where yeah. it's legal. Uh, I work with ayahuasca in the rainforest in Peru. Um, and these plant medicines, when they're used in the right way, with the right shame, and it's really important that a client feels comfortable yeah, working with safe. me in that way, yeah. yeah, and safe, and that they feel they're held in a, in a really safe way. Mm. Um, but used in that way, so with a lot of safety, a lot of respect, they can provide an opportunity to do very deep psychotherapeutic work mm. and particularly around such life-altering moments as a bereavement or a change of any sort mm. where we don't feel we rationally have the tools to handle it no. what plant medicines do is they enable us in a very short space of time five six hours to open up to the wise part of ourselves that does know how to handle this situation mm. um and that can also be very reassuring to work with plants in a natural environment where you can not feel that life and the load of life is only on your shoulders that yeah. actually you're held within this giant tapestry of nature and all the people who've been before us and all the people who will come after us all of whom have or will be going through a bereavement um challenges successes and joys mm. and then also the reverse of that and i think in our disconnected world having any experience which enables us to feel okay, this is actually really tough, but everybody before me has gone through this and got through it. And similarly, everybody after me will go through this and will get through it exactly. too. Can just be really grounding mm. and take that sting away from the individualistic way in which we live. That where we're we on our own. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think mm. people can feel really isolated in these defining life moments. You know, all of us are gonna lose people and we ourselves are gonna die as well it's really important to remember that, mm. you know, and not feel, um, I think it's important, it's also helpful to remember that, you know, not to feel, oh God, I, d I don't know where to turn. This isn't how life is meant to be. Yeah. It's not how life is meant to go. I think many people feel that mm. about um, challenges. You know, this idea that we should be happy all the time and that life should always be rosy. It, it No. It's not. No, it's not. No. <laughs> It's not, it's not why we're here. No, that's exactly it. And I, 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 I sort of, I love, you kind of answered a lot of my questions. Um, I, one, one question that I think is quite interesting is that, that you talked about, about how we hold things inside our body. And I was curious what you thought about how that emotional pain translates into physical pain for people, mm. that people come to you and they have physical I guess repercussions yep. of everything that they're holding on to. So you're helping them to release that. But how does that work? How does that manifest itself in something physical? Sure. I think many of us, in terms of the way we're taught how to handle life, is that whenever we go through a challenge in whatever area, so it might be personal, we go through a divorce, or um, it might be professional, we have a financial issue, or we lose our job, or somebody really has the knife out for us at mm. work, and we, we, we find it very difficult to handle that, understandably. The way our culture and society believes we should handle that is to invest 
all of our time and energy in another area of life. So how many of us, if we go through a bereavement, will throw ourselves into work in the belief that in three months time or six months time or three years time, we will feel better because Mm. time is a great healer. Now there's one type of wisdom in that approach, but when we don't process in real time our thoughts, feelings and emotions, they back up. Mm. And for a lot of people, the moment of realization is when the body starts to rebel. So tension headaches become an everyday reality or heart palpitations. We've never been aware of our heart before, but suddenly we're feeling it racing Mm. and we get sweaty palms or very common gut problems in our culture, IBS or the whole plethora. And that is the point with a lot of my clients where physically the body starts to break down in some shape or form. They go to a doctor and allopathic medicine can't provide a solution Mm. because there's not an obvious physical cause that needs addressing and they can't pill their way through it. That is when people will come to me and we will start to explore, but quickly, what the root trigger has been and is continuing to be And we'll go to that level. And always the root cause will be, if we're not talking about a very obvious broken leg where the cause is just, you know, it's a physical thing that's happened and therefore we need to approach it physically. But if we're talking about some of these more, what we might call stress-related physical challenges, always the root cause is an original thought or thoughts around a challenge, which has given rise to a lot of feelings and emotions, which we've Mm. just stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down because in our culture, we don't know how to deal with those things. You know, in Africa, for example, a lot of African communities, they dance their way through grief. We don't have any of those kind of tools. When we lose somebody, we might have support from family and friends through the initial period, Mm. which is going to be busy because we're sorting out death certificates, we're sorting out funerals, we're sorting out division of assets and all that stuff, which is painful, but busy and therefore it keeps us occupied. But as soon as the funeral has been and gone, we can find ourselves very on our own. Mm. And people, our friends, might feel it's appropriate for us to be grieving for a few months, but there will come a point where they will run out of things to say, we will run out of things to say, and really it's not a life moment that we can talk our way through anyway. That is when the wisdom of these, let's say more, what we in the West might label more primitive societies who have their rituals as a community to deal with grief, um, that's where the wisdom comes into Mm. its own. So yeah, always these physical stress-related issues will come back to an original thought Event. or series of thoughts about something that's happened to us. Why did that person have to die, you know? Or why did yeah. they die when I'm carrying all this unsaid yes. stuff? Um, and we don't, because we don't generally see emotions and feelings as energy, we don't realize the power of medicines techniques which approach things as energy and enable us to move energy through our body we we just we're not it's a world which is closed to us Mm, it's amazing yeah it's just it it makes me want to do some work now (laughs) (laughs) I i mean i know you're talking about grief and how you know we we hold up you know we will hold on to that event but i think also i talk a lot about uh in the book that i've just written as well i talk a lot about loss Hmm throughout our life yeah you know loss of a job loss of love Mm. 
Um, and a lot of stuff also comes from our childhood. Yes. And then it makes sense that this will come out later on mm. when we least expect it because we haven't dealt with that stuff mm. that's that's very much in the in the past. Mm. Um, and so I find that really fascinating. And so I guess in a way, relating that back to the death process, you're very much helping us to let go of things that we've accumulated, thoughts and emotions that we've accumulated over over our life. And death is the final process of letting go. It is. And, you know, letting go of those emotions and letting go of those the feelings that we have about relationships that don't serve us anymore. It's a massive part of what you do. And I think um, how then would that work if we'd worked with a shaman and we'd got to a really good place in our life? Then when we're dying how might that work that we've done enable us to die better? Mm. There's a really beautiful concept in shamanism and a a few religions, which is called conscious dying, the conscious death. Mm. And certainly for a shaman, that's the aim. And the experience of conscious dying, conscious death, is that rather than fighting it and feeling very small and contracting as Mm. we know we're dying. We trust, and the whole point of letting go and reconnecting with nature and our place in nature and reconnecting with that wise part of ourselves, which is so much bigger and deeper and more magnificent than the little ego. Mm. You know, the ego is all about, well, that's my spoon and that's your spoon. Yeah. And don't you touch mine and I won't touch yours. You know, the, the wise part of ourselves is like, look, we've got a whole drawer of spoons. Yeah. Who cares whose is yeah. who, you know? Um, so I think conscious dying is about enabling us and providing techniques to bridge into that big part of ourselves so that we can expand into the experience. Mm. And I'll come back to that in a minute because yeah. I don't mean that in a kind of untotally intangible yeah, way. Yeah. Like, well, that's a great ideal, but how the hell do you manage yeah. to get there? Um, what I think shamanic work enables us to do because it's given us ways of tapping into the big part of ourselves, of connecting with the broader tapestry, not just our tiny little individualistic bit, is that it makes it a possibility. Mm. Because somewhere within us, we know that we've we've tasted that particular salt, let's say. Mm. Um, so we know that we can get there if we want to, if we choose to enough and if we do enough, if we do the work. The reason that I don't believe conscious dying is an intangible, unrealistic goal for any of us is that there's huge wisdom available in talking totally tangibly, death doulas, people in the NHS and hospitals and hospices who've seen a lot of death, Mm. who aren't going to be scared of it in a way that Joe Bloggs and normal people like us might be. Being able to talk with loved ones about what is happening as opposed to feeling that it's just the elephant in the room that we can't address and we've got just to carry on because that's impossible. Um, Those two things, so being able to talk to people who have wisdom because they've got experience of the dying process, just in a tangible way, they've seen it happen a lot. Mm. They can talk us through what the different stages are going to be and they're not going to reinforce our own fears and hesitations around that final Mm. journey. And then, as I say, being able to be candid with our loved ones 
whether we're the person who's dying or whether we're going through that journey with someone else is tremendously healing and it makes that process a conscious and it can be extremely beautiful thing Mm. the number i have a lot of clients who are um death doulas or oncologists um or gps or people who work in hospitals and are responsible for that end of life care um and enabling them to have that pause to really connect with the magnificence of what they do Mm. you know without the fear without the kind of administrative strain of oh have i got a bed here and so on and so forth but it's an incredibly special moment when and journey when somebody's dying very mm. very hard but there are moments of extreme beauty because it's truthful yeah and most of life is not truthful no, you know it's no. about the ego and the different personas we wear to handle life to handle work and then when we're at home we wear a different persona because we're interacting with our loved ones and mm. so on and so forth so if we allow it to be death can be and the dying process can be a, a connection with the real stuff yeah so I think for all of us, it's possible to have those moments of conscious dying or assisting somebody mm. in a conscious way. To me, it sounds very much like being authentic, authentic self. Mm. And I think because, like you say, that you know, Joe Bloggs is 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 terrified of dying, yeah. and inexperienced. We're mm. we're really inexperienced as yes. a culture in dealing with that. And so, immature. Yeah, we're exactly. Immature. Yeah. So we're unable to help those people to transition mm. within that death process. So I love that idea of being able to be more authentic and pause and say, how can I help this person mm. so that they can more successfully transition? Leave. Yeah, yeah leave, leave without any of the stuff getting in the way. Well, and baggage. Yeah, baggage. Of the mistakes that we may or may not have made. Yeah. um, The opportunities that we may have missed. You know, all of those things. Um, Death can be moments, because it is a journey, where we can attain a lot of peace Mm. about our life. Yeah. In the Hindu tradition, a really dear friend of mine, um, his grandmother was passing, and he was very, very close to her. He and his mum were with her for the last 10 days, um, pretty much constantly. And they had some lovely Hindu friends who came round uh, to the hospice. Mm. And um, my friend thanked them, you know, because for a lot of Westerners like ourselves, going to spend time with a family, a small family, where one member is dying, is like we can't think of anything worse, no. frankly. <laughs> yeah, what do you say, what do you do, yeah. what do you take? Yeah. You know, do you take a gift or like, oh, it's awkward. And these Hindu friends said it's a great blessing in our tradition to come and spend time with somebody who's going into an enlightened state because they're becoming more wise. So this is really special. And for those friends, the beginning of life and the end of life are two huge portals. And this is true of the shamanic tradition as well. They're very special portals. You know, when we come in, extremely that's one of the prime moments in life isn't it when we yeah. you know and if we if we birth a yeah. child that's yeah. that's uh, massive. Yeah, yeah massive thing and yeah. it's a great privilege and similarly when we go out mm. so to try and not deny that death is happening um and kind of keep going on in the same way but to try and where possible actually embrace it i think that that if we can change our viewpoint just slightly I think that can be tremendously healing mm. and helpful for all of us because we spend so much of our lifetime denying that we're going to die don't we <laughs> well yeah some people say people are scared to die because they haven't really lived and the work of a lifetime can 
sometimes happen in that short space of time you know what can I do now how can I live how can I make amends and it feels so tough for that person who's going through that process and I think that's why for me it's so appealing the work that you do because you're helping people to deal with all that baggage before the end process but also to enjoy life because I yeah. think we can you know, you've said something really interesting which is that a lot of people fear death because they fear life they fear actually really embracing life and going for it and um another very beautiful it's like an anecdote i guess um a soul passes gets to the pearly gates and he's standing there and peter's there they're waiting for god and he's kind of thinking god have i done enough am i going to be allowed into heaven or am i going to be taken to the other place And he's kind of going through all of his mm. doings in his life his actions and kind of thinking well I think I've probably done just enough and then the gates open and God crouches down and peers at this man and he says so tell me did you enjoy my creation you know we forget we yeah. forget that the point of life is to live to enjoy to have fun and I think um what I hope for in some small way from my work is that as well as enabling people to deal with their baggage it's to enable them to open to this gift the joy of life waking up and seeing a child's pretty face you know who's excited about the day ahead or seeing a beautiful sunrise or going for a walk with somebody that we love romantically yeah. or maybe they're our business partner and we have a great bond with them over this business that we're creating together you know there are many beauties in life and I think we can forget that because of stress and because of the long to-do list mm. and this busyness that we're all obsessed with. I'm yeah. doing this and then this and then this and then this and then I'm going to bed and then I'm going to get up and do it all again tomorrow. We can forget to live. Yeah. And do you feel as a shaman and working with people, you live a little bit more like that? To do what I do, I have to be very present. Mm. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm present all the time. That's not possible. No. But when I'm working, in particular, I need to be very focused to work well with my clients. And particularly when, like on one of my retreats, for example, when I guide somebody through a four-day experience and the light enters their face, their body at the end of it, and they're like, oh God, I get it, I get it. And you can see they've tapped into their wisdom, mm. their innate connection. Um, yes, I see that, and I see that. A fair amount and that certainly makes me present to the little things in life that mm. actually aren't little they're the important yeah, things. things yeah they are they're yeah. the things that make it worth it mm. yeah. absolutely mm. um and do you work with people who are terminally ill yes i have worked with people who are terminally ill yeah and have you started the process of when they were terminally ill through to when they have died mm. and a lot of that work is about the conscious dying the not fighting and going into the little ego space which is totally valid mm. you know it's totally valid and it's totally understandable i wouldn't want to give uh, any other impression but working with somebody who is terminally ill to get them to a point of peace mm. in terms of the responsibilities they're leaving behind that might be children that might be partners friends it might be financial responsibilities mm. you know so on and so forth but to get them to a point of peace to get them to a point of acceptance which means that those conversations you were referencing earlier mm. can happen yeah um, and they can happen in a meaningful way as opposed to there being a lot of, you know, that kind of mental 
why did you do this why did I do that stuff yeah like that, blame exactly yeah. and and just no resolution within oneself mm. about events that might have happened and at the end of the day we're all doing our best aren't we you know and we do make mistakes that's very much the kind of journey that I lead people through yeah. when they're going through that it's an incredibly important sacred part of life isn't it yeah. it's, it's one of the cycles I think we all in our culture really spend a lot of time focusing on the cycles of once you've exited your teenage years through to your most productive working life mm. years when you've got young children and you're seeing them through that journey you know youth teenage and then they fledge the nest we focus so much on those years and think that that's the be all and end all because that's when we're active that's when we're relevant that's when we're deserving of respect because we're in the river and we forget about you know the very young time and children are the wisest of all of us yeah, aren't they you know they call yeah. it they tell us when we're telling a fib you know and so on and so forth and they're very intuitive yeah. if you give them a choice they'll make a choice very quickly mm. and they'll always get it right and then this later part of life which because we're living longer is becoming an increasingly proportionally large part of our life yeah. experience we we kind of denigrate it we don't respect it we don't value older people and the wisdom and the fact that they've done this great journey which we're in the process of mm. um so yeah i think it's honoring one of the cycles of those later years mm. if we're lucky enough to get there and i love that you talk about the cycles of when we are young then our working career then we get old and these sort of cycles in life and nature and we, we don't really see dying as a natural process we see it as a medicalized process as we you know, most people die in hospital. So that natural part of dying, we don't know how to deal with. We've forgotten that it's a natural part of living and that we are all going to die. And a lot of people can't face that fact. They don't, they don't want to. So there's a lovely echo of nature in what you're saying and, you know, how we live and that natural progression of stuff, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it makes me think of um, John Keats's poem, Ode to Autumn. Mm. And, you know, he calls that the season of, season of mists and mellow fruitfulness. And he died very, very young. He died at 27. Wow. Um, of consumption. And that poem about autumn is all about the fact that he's reached the autumn of his life when he should be in the spring. Mm. And his peace with that um, and his observations about the beauty of autumn and I think each season has its beauty and each season has its time. Mm. And while we may prefer spring or summer, autumn and winter have their place. They have things to teach us. They have, you know, the fallow years yeah. are, are, can be very, very beautiful. Yeah. And um, I think cycles, yeah, you've hit on something really important. I think we forget that life is, it's cycles. Yeah. It's not one point or you know very high or one point very low it's a continuous journey of movement mm. and um sometimes i think realizing that life is about cycles and that each cycle has its own beauty its own flavor its own tenor mm. um can help us yeah as you say see that death is part of life it's not you know we have many deaths don't we always yeah. through life and i think we're not good at handling them no. in our culture we we kind of resist them and then repress them and won't acknowledge that they've mm. happened which means that when the kind of biggest transition comes, we, we don't have any experience to draw on. Yeah. And I think very much our culture is about moving through very quickly. Okay, your child has left home or 
you know, you'll get over it, but there's a, there's a deep sense of loss there. And each of those stages means that we're getting older and moving on. And, th and that's with us all the time. And I guess we don't really acknowledge or give it the acknowledgement it deserves. Totally. Um, and we're impatient with ourselves, we're aren't so we? We're so impatient. And I think we can be impatient with each other. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. As well. So we live in this culture of we all need to be up all the time and living, in inverted commas, all the time. Um, and there's no room or acceptance of the fact that sometimes we're not up, we're mm. down. Um, sometimes we're not healthy, we're unwell. You know, we have a very strange relationship to health and illness in our culture as well. We kind of think things have gone wrong if we get ill. Well, no, you know, illness is, it's the other side of the coin. And it's telling us what's going on. It's our body's warning, isn't it? It's our body's warning. And sometimes it's our immune system getting a nice yeah. wake-up call yeah. and therefore emerging stronger. Mm. It's, you know, one teacher of mine always said she worked with a lot of... Um, she's a psychotherapist she worked with a lot of um clients going through depression and and those kinds of things and she said one of the things she noticed was that when a client moved through and beyond a depression they would come out happier and stronger than before the depression mm. happened so i think these we're very hard on life we're very hard on ourselves it needs to be only the sun bright day yeah. spring summer the thanks very much there there's is the there is yeah. yeah there is i always think about it this that I've learned through you, which is the duality mm. of the yin and yang, the male and female, yes. life and death. Yes. We can't have one without the other. No. We ha and we, it's about coexisting mm. between all of the negative and what we see as negative mm. and the positive, actually having a neutrality mm. through that process. Mm, totally. And I've, I've, I love that. That's, that, that really r resonated with me. Mm that part i think it's also very empowering really because empowering. so often we can think i don't know let's say we're in a beautiful relationship and then it ends mm. and a lot of us particularly um women i think can soul search for hours and days and months and sometimes years about what did i do what, what should wrong? i have done what didn't i do all of that kind of soul searching and i think when we're able to view the ebb and flow of life as part of the same thing yeah. whether it's night or day it's still the same 24 hours mm. i think it can lift the pressure off and enable us as you say i've had this experience as well it enables us to connect back with that wise part of ourselves mm. which yes it's painful yes it hurts yes sometimes it can be you know hell on legs but it's not about anything we've done or not done. It's the ebb and flow of life which enables us to learn and grow. Yeah. And life cannot be static. No. You know, we can have a beautiful weekend with our family and we can want it to go on forever, but it can't. No. We can't only have positive in life. We need the kind of, you know, the oyster needs yeah. the grit to produce yeah. the pearl. And that's true of all of us. Mm. True of all of us. Oh, I love that. So we've talked about the many endings in life. When you work with people, would you say there is a death of the person that they used to be, almost like a renewal of themselves or a different version of themselves? Uh, yes, but I wouldn't want that to appear scary because yeah. I think for some people that can be very off-putting because it feels like you're kind of jumping into the unknown and let's say you're already in pain, emotional pain, let's say you're going through a bereavement or a breakup. Um, why on earth would you want to then 
emerge so different that maybe you don't recognize yourself that can feel like you've lost the um, foundations that we all need in life the safety so what I'd say is that my work is about um, more like shedding a skin like if you're a snake to be beautiful and to keep growing and to keep going on your life path there are times where you need to shed your skin and that's just a natural process and I would say that the skin that clients are shedding when they come to see me is the baggage that keeps them stuck and stops them feeling strong and fulfilled and kind of shiny you know we all can see when somebody's shiny and it, it won't ever be to do with they've just struck a deal which has given them x money yeah. in the bank it'll be to do with their light is just turned on mm -hmm. like they know who they are and they're kind of they're living and doing what they need to be doing what's right for them so I'd see it more along those lines yeah. as opposed to you're going to go through total personality change all your friends are going to change and you're going to come out feeling strong but it's yeah. going to evaporate very quickly because you're like where is everybody basically essentially you but just a sort of shedding of the stuff yeah. that you don't need yeah it's like a refined forward reminding yourself who you are the true essence of who you are yes it's so powerful and the yeah the authentic you because I think we can lose that in life's demands, like particularly as a mum. I think the demands on us are so great that it's so common to lose that connection with who am I yeah. when I'm not a mum and a wife and a professional doing whatever I do. Um, just taking short periods of time to reconnect with that essence gives us huge reserves of energy mm. and gives us clarity and I think enables us to fulfil those different roles better. Yes. Yes. And uh, so what do you think happens to this energy inside us, that who we are, what, when we die, what happens? So in the shamanic tradition, there's a thing called kamaken. And kamaken is the underlying consciousness that unites everything, whether it's a plant or an animal or a human being or a crystal, like we were talking earlier. Everything is conscious energy. And... The kamaken is also the recycle of energy. Hmm. So when our physical form passes, dies, our spirit, our essence, reverts to the kamaken. We just become part of the soup, let's hmm. say, from which all matter is created. Wow. In a nutshell. Yeah. That's I mean, another, another way of expressing that is, whereas in our culture we view death as an end point, the finish line, full stop, done, in the shamanic tradition, because everything is energy and each of us individuals are just one manifesting form of energy, energy can't be created or destroyed. It changes form. Mm. So we enlighten. And what that means is that we become a lighter state because we lose the physical form. Yeah. We just become these light waves, pure energy. And therefore, from a shamanic perspective, enlightening is about Reattaining a higher vibration a deeper wisdom we go back to the organic wise source why are kids so wise because they come directly from the kamaken mm. they come directly from that pristine pure energetic yeah. force and then it's kind of educated out of us as yeah. we go through life and we become more involved in matter we have you know families we have mortgages we mm. have businesses um and so on and so forth and as we become more enveloped in matter we lose that connection with the source mm. we lose some of that wisdom you know we become more fo focused on the ego and the personality which is why 
we need to do work like shamanic work to connect back to the wise part in yeah. all of us. But very much from a shamanic perspective, death is not an end. It's a shift. It's a transition to a better place. Mm. And just as a an anecdote, you know, in Peru, um, one of the places that I take my um, clients when, we, when they come to Peru on retreat with me is um, a place just outside Cusco. And uh, it's a place where you've got a lot of beautifully crafted um, stone walls. And in these stone walls, there are niches. And the niches in Incan times, so we're talking, you know, 1,000, 2,000 prehistoric times as well, they would take their totems. Now, these totems would be mummies of leaders and wise men and women who had passed. Mm. And the reason that they would make mummies of these bodies and take them to... And this place is just north of a place called Saxe Waman. As I said, it's just outside Cusco. Um, the reason they do that is because it was believed that the spirit was still present in these mummies and that by praying to these mummies, they could access wisdom for the community mm. in a way that when we're sitting on our own, staring at a problem, let's say a work issue, and trying to solve it and trying to solve it and trying to solve it, we can't get anywhere. Mm. You know, Einstein said you cannot solve a problem at the same vibration of consciousness at which it was created. Yeah. So there, the reason that they used to take these mummies, these totems, was as a way of opening up to a greater understanding, a greater wisdom than mm. just our single mind or trying to problem solve with our team. We're working at a particular vibration of mm. consciousness which is going to be limited by thinking. Yeah. Whereas when we, you know, they, they believe that the veil between life and death was much flimsier than our mental um, constructs allow. Mm. Yeah, so we've sort of created our own limitations around yes. death and dying. Yes, which totally, is, Yeah, totally. And in many ancient cultures, you see the same thing, mm. that they will, um, particularly if somebody is a leader and an important individual, so a shaman, for example, bodies would be um, mummified and used as a, as a bridge to connect to the the best thing for the community wow the best thing for individuals yeah. when you look at it that way death death doesn't seem so scary does no, it? no because you yeah. still i think one of the greatest fears of dying and of losing people that we love is that they are no more and that our way of connecting with them or them with us has gone mm. And yet I think many of us in life have had uncanny experiences where somebody's recently passed and we might be out and we kind of do a double take because we think we've seen them yeah. in a crowd. Yeah. Or um, I remember for myself, my grandfather passed um, and I was in Spain and I remember going to a cathedral because I was really, really sad that I couldn't be with my family at yeah. that moment. And I went to the very top and I was really trying to connect with him and wish him well on his way and kind of start my own grieving process. And these birds, two birds flew in. And um, I knew that that was him and my mm. grandmother. And uh, I was asking, well, where's my aunt? And a third bird came. Aww. And some people might view that as quite trite and kind of, oh, she's making something out of nothing. But I think it's helpful it doesn't really matter <laughs> at the yeah, end of the day exactly. whether it's right or wrong or real or not exactly yeah. in that moment that was really helpful for me and i think in these ancient cultures the fact that they created these bridges as you say it takes away some of the sting and fear we mm. have around dying whether it's someone else dying who we love or are passing if we feel that there are still ways that we can connect and talk to people 
um, and pray to them and ask for their advice and just trust that it will come forward. I mean, that that is a game changer for all of us. Funnily enough, there's a section in my book about that. I love that concept and it can be whatever you think it is and if it gives you comfort then that's okay you know that's lovely yeah and kind of in a way I would say there's greater wisdom in in um allowing that mystery into your life as opposed to thinking well that's nonsense yeah I can't scientifically prove it and therefore I'm just going to reject everything I think there's more courage actually and more wisdom in allowing the mystery in you know just sometimes just sometimes as you say if it resonates with you go with it because ultimately if you can be at peace you are going to be of much greater service to the people around you whether it's your family or your colleagues or your friends than if you're self-righteously holding on to your scientific paradigms and you therefore cannot resolve you cannot resolve you cannot resolve because if you can't resolve something that happens in life even if you think you've just suppressed it and you're on top of it all, it will be bleeding out in mm. ways you might not know, mm. but it will be affecting your kids. It will be affecting the working environment um, that you might be creating if you're a leader or that you just might be um, impacting if you're a member of a team. Yes. You know, it, it's not possible. We're, we're, you know, Plato said, man is a political animal. We are connected. None of us are islands. And so what we feel, whether we want to consciously accept it or not, it will be affecting the people around us. We don't have to express it, you know? People say, I get a really weird vibe off that person. Exactly. That's your inner intuition picking up. And people dismiss that as, oh, I had a weird feeling about that house or I had a weird feeling about that person in a meeting. And it's it's there. We just don't recognise what it is. And it's useful. It's useful. It's so if, useful. If you were to move into a house because it kind of ticks all the boxes, but you don't feel quite right there, you will never be happy in that house. And similarly, all of us have had experiences where we meet somebody and it, something's just a bit off and we ignore it. And then maybe six months down the line, we're like, oh, okay, now I understand why I had a something's off here. And it's much slower to rely on life and circumstances and the mind to then make sense of those circumstances and behavior that takes a lot longer time than if we just trust our intuition and think okay I've got a funny feeling so I'll just wait I'll trust that yeah yeah I'll trust and I'll wait um and as opposed to throwing myself into what seems to be an amazing opportunity or an amazing property or whatever it might be so I think you're bang on you're bang on well when I've worked with you I've always come away feeling like Wow, I must have been carrying some serious stuff around to feel so good now. <laughs> and I really feel like we should all have access to work with a shaman. I just wish there were more people like you around. It must be quite daunting to think that you've got, and I mean, it's wonderful that you're doing it, but you must see so many people and think, gosh, they could really do with some help. And, you know, work with me. I mean, there's not enough really of you to go round, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, there's a great saying isn't there um when the student's ready the teacher will appear yeah and i think um to get the maximum out of work with any good teacher we have to be ready and then we don't need to be working with that teacher you know religiously um over months or years or whatever it might be and we haven't worked together for maybe a year now you know and it doesn't that's great because that means you're living and you're sorted and you're getting on with life so i i trust you know that thing that when we're ready the right person will appear yeah but i i i do feel that in our culture 
because for many of us the only option is talking therapy that's what's available um that can lead us down a path where we think that healing from a bereavement a grief of any kind whether it's a big death or a mini death as you say needs to take months or years and it doesn't no that's the only um concern might be the right word i have about our society you know as i said way back you know in africa there are many traditional communities where when you grieve you dance yeah in our culture we don't think about any of that and so very often when we're going through something very heavy duty emotionally we become very very stuck we don't move we don't leave the house we don't connect very with other isolated. people mm. exactly and the body just becomes stuck and then we try and talk through that's not the best it's not going to be the quickest way and i think as i say that's my one concern that i think when people are looking for help very often what's available is all to do with the brain and actually there are speedier ways there are speedier ways and I think it's helpful for us to be able to you know yeah and what, what you were saying earlier we can view death as somehow being us getting it wrong yes. but it, it's part of life and having quick ways to be able to start to process our baggage around the grief we yeah. feel um is it's super super useful for everybody mm. not only the person who's grieving or the person who's passed but their friends their families their business colleagues like the wider circle their wider community you know they set a great example yeah and i think the thing is when you do start acknowledging death that it's there and that it is going to happen realize that you've only got this amount of time and you need to use it well and do the things that you want to do you know live the life that you want to live without all that stuff if you can you know so that you can enjoy your life just so much more yeah it can be very positive yeah i mean i often think imagine if we were here for 300 years i was just about to say that like 300 years i mean i wouldn't want to be alive i for wouldn't years. want to be alive for you that know, long life is amazing but i think the fact that it has a limit enables us to prioritize and to value the time and not just think well i don't need to do that today because i've got another 300 years to do it you know <laughs> <laughs> horrific i would hate that <laughs> And when you look at it that way, then it turns the whole thing on its head. Like, okay, I haven't got 300 years to live, so I have to use that time really wisely. Yeah, and I, exactly. I need to decide what, what do I want to devote my time to and my energy to? I can't do everything. So what is it that's really important to me? And how can I kind of have the most joy and the most fulfillment and therefore pay that forward? Yes. Those are really important, legitimate questions yeah. to ask. And something that has definitely happened to me from working with you is that my whole life has completely turned around. Hence being here interviewing you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you actually, when you are dying, how will you use your shamanic practice to die? What a fabulous question. So I talked a little while ago about conscious death. And I also talked about with a lot of my clients, a lot of my mentors' clients, our work is about taking away the fear so that somebody can pass. Yeah. And they can pass with all of themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, my practice is very much about, because I take on a lot from my clients because I work with a lot of people and a lot of my clients are going through quite heavy duty stuff. Mm. Some aren't, but some are. My own practice is all about detoxing what I take on and I do that every day. 
And as part of that, I'm detoxing and releasing my own thoughts, feelings and emotions that are totally natural, normal, but aren't really serving me. Yeah. On the death journey, that practice will become even more important to help the people around me who may be struggling if, if we have time and we're able to talk about it and we, we have the time to do that journey together, if, if I'm, you know, I don't know, if a tree falls on me, then we won't have that no. time together. But, but saying that we, we do, doing my own practice and being as responsible as I can about that to create the most space in me for my own journey, but also the journey of the people that I love mm. is, I feel the best way that yes. I can handle it and, oh. and help the people around me not I don't mean that in an arrogant way no. but I mean being present f for them so that we can amongst the sadness try and find those moments of beauty and those moments of authenticity mm. and you know normally you can find those moments in flashes when either life is super good or you've had a super difficult conversation with somebody or cried you know and you have those moments of just gosh I just feel relief mm. and like you've done a massive release and it's very still yeah. and light. And my hope is that on that dying journey, I'm able to experience quite a few of those moments with the people in my life who are important to me. Because mm. I think that will be very beneficial for both of us, all yes. of us. You know? And at the point in which, like say you've only got a few hours left, what would you want people to do around you? You're making would me think very hard, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> would you... Would you use crystals? Would you use um, sound? How could you do that for yourself, being a shaman? I think... Um, potentially, if one of my students is around me, or I have a family member who has, has the gift, so if she's with me, um, you know, crystals and all that stuff can be taken care of. But... I actually think the most important is the presence. Mm. Wow. Isn't it? So really, if it's very noisy traffic that is surrounding me when I pass, um, or if it's, you know, birdsong, it's who's there and it's who I'm able to connect with yeah. in the most meaningful way that is the thing that's important to me. Oh. Yeah. Wow, lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, that was so you. fascinating. You're going to have a queue of people now. <laughs> Make your life more busy. <laughs> That's very, very kind of you to Thank have you. me on your podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I'm very grateful. And if you want to know more about Anna Hunt, please check out her website, annahunt.com, and her fascinating and funny book, The Shaman in Stilettos. And if you like this episode or any of the others that you've listened to, it would be amazing if you could review them on iTunes or wherever you listen to them so that other people can find them. Thank you and thank you for listening. <laughs>